0: Hey, uh, welcome to the last chapel of the year. I'm wondering, uh, how many of you are seniors in the room? Yeah, well, actually, I thought there were going to be three of you. So it's great to have you here. Let's give it up for the seniors. Yeah. And for those of you who are here who still have chapel cuts, I'm glad we're here together to talk about what God has to say with us. Hey, I, I... You maybe have figured that out because you're college students, but this is a box. You've made it through high school. You've made it through at least your freshman year. You can figure out this is a box. By the end of chapel, I'm going to challenge you to get out of the box and do something different in our world today. But first, I want us to do this thing. There's somebody who's sitting near you, and I want you to think about one thing this year that was particularly good. One thing that was good this year, what's the best thing that has happened to you this year? Maybe it had something to do with your faith journey or maybe you fell in love or maybe you made a career decision or um, maybe you got an unexpected A that you just desperately needed and didn't know about that was coming. So what's the best thing that's happened with you this year? Got it in your brain? Okay, you got a minute or two, share it with somebody sitting next to you. Tell, them, tell somebody sitting near you, here's the best thing that happened to me this year. Ready, go. So we got some good stuff happening this year. That's nice to hear. Here's one more question. What's the thing you've complained about the most? What's the thing you've complained about the most? Ready, go. So here's the deal. If we had capacity to capture a word cloud of everything that was just said, I'm guessing there's some of you complained about a specific professor. Uh, somebody who was too hard or somebody who was too clueless or some course that you just didn't, couldn't figure out why you had to take it, but it was in your requirements and you just had to take it. I'm guessing some of you complained about a roommate uh, maybe the one who's in this sh- never takes a shower, or the one who's always in the shower so you can't get in it. I'm guessing some of you complained about romance or lack of it. I'm guessing some of you may have complained about your parents and the fact that they paid too much attention to you or not enough attention to you. Maybe some of you complained about Baldwin because college students always complain about the food no matter how good it is. Other college students from other colleges come and visit our campus and they think this is all right, but we get used to it and complain about it. It's, there's a chance that some of you complained about chapel attendance policies. I'm just guessing. Maybe some rule the university has, maybe tuition prices, the list could go on and on. And on and on. We all find something to complain about. Here's what I've noticed in life. In life, we tend to complain more than we celebrate. It seems easier to find things to complain about than it is to find things to cheer about. I've noticed it's easier to find people to complain with than it is to find people who just sit around and talk about how awesome everything is. That's the reality in which we live. In fact... It's the box we live in, the box most people live in, whether they're college students or not. We live in a world full of complainers. Now, here's the deal. If we're Christ followers, it's not the box we're supposed to live in. So every once in a while when I preach, I want to find a need that you really feel and meet it. And I don't know that any of you are feeling the need for this sermon today, but I'm feeling the need to give it. So let's talk about it. Philippians 2, verse 14 through 16. Look at what it says. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Some translations say complaining. So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, we say thanks be to God. That's what we say because we've been trained to do so. But I think these commands are among the most ignored, among the most neglected, among the most violated, forgotten, disobeyed, maybe even ridiculed in the entire Bible. (laughs) Do everything without complaining? You must be kidding me. Rejoice always? Do you know what's going on in my life? Be thankful in all circumstances? You mean this circumstance? Not this circumstance. This circumstance stinks. Stinks. How can I be thankful? How can I rejoice? And then we end up complaining about the command that tells us not to complain. It's a little bit odd. This is the box we live in. And we're going to spend some time today talking about it. And before we get to Scripture, let me share some observations with you, I guess. One is that most people complain an observation that's hard to dispute. When I asked you what you complained about most of the year, there was plenty of energy in the room. I doubt that any of you said, I can't think of anything. You know, it wasn't hard for us to think about something we complained about. It's more likely is that you had trouble narrowing it down to whatever was most. In fact, some of you may have shared more than one thing. For some of us, Complaining seems to be our default setting, and I will tell you, I'm not immune. I remember one time a waiter handed me a dessert menu, and they didn't have what I wanted on the dessert menu, and I began to complain to Patty. Now, what's weird about this is I was sitting in a restaurant on a cruise ship, yeah, they brought me in and sat me down at the table. The waiter had picked up the cloth napkin and shook it out and laid it in my, in my lap for me. I didn't even have to spend the energy to put a napkin in my lap. They brought me a menu and I could order anything off it that I wanted. I could more order multiple things if I wanted. I could order the shrimp dinner or the steak dinner or I could order both. It was. It was just service over the top. You'd you'd get your water glass about half down, they'd come and refill it. I mean, everything was perfect. I didn't have to do the dishes. I didn't have to take my tray to the dish room. I didn't have to cook it. I just enjoyed it. And then they handed me a menu with six dessert items on it. And I complained. Why did I complain? Maybe it's because complaining seems to be the default setting of most people at some point. We become the center of our own universe, and if everything is not exactly like we want it to be, something's wrong. This is nothing new. The very first temptation that Satan presented to people was to think that God was somehow unfair to them. Satan says to Eve, is it really true you can't eat from any of these trees? He says, no, 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 no. We can eat from all of them except for this one. And he says, you've got to be kidding me. You can't eat from this one tree? God's trying to keep you from knowing more, from knowing the good and evil. And he's just trying to limit you. You eat from this tree and you can be like God. Satan is tempting Eve to think negatively about God and take things in her own hands. If you took Old Testament 180, and if you're a senior here, you have done that by this time. Some of you are maybe still waiting for it. Dr. Williams is retiring so you don't have to do the king's test anymore go for it Maybe you remember as you read the Old Testament there's a story about the Israelites who are slaves in Egypt They're down there in Egypt and they're complaining to God asking to be delivered asking to be set free and God hears their prayer and he sends a guy named Moses to lead them out of Israel, out of Egypt And Moses under God's power and authority does miracle after miracle to get them released from Egypt. And as they, they leave, they're not sure Moses is leading them the right way because he doesn't take the northern road up to the promised land. He takes a route that leads them towards the Red Sea. And some of them can't figure it out and they're complaining, why did you lead us here? And then they look back and the Egyptians have decided to come after him and they complain all the more. Why did you bring us out here? We could have died back there just as easily as we can die there, die here. And they're complaining to God and to Moses. And then Moses holds out his staff and the Red Sea parts and they walk across on dry land, and they think that's pretty cool. I'm guessing, although I'm, some of them guess, I just know people well enough to know some of them were complaining that they had to walk. And, uh, not long after they get across the Red Sea, they begin to run out of food that they had packed, and they complain to God, and he gives them manna and feeds them every day while they're in the wilderness. And then eventually, they get to the edge of the promised land, and God says, this is the land I promised you, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land where everything is, is you'll live in houses you haven't built, and you'll, you'll harvest crops you haven't planted. This is the place I promised you. And then they complain about his plan to capture the promised land. They complained and they complained and they complained and they let each other know about it. Complaining is something, a default setting that all of us have. Most of us have at least, not all of us necessarily. But I think what we sometimes forget is that complaining is a creative act. It creates a new sense of what seems real to you. When you complain about something, you tend, it tends to sensitize you to other things that might not be perfectly right, and you complain about them as well, and then you complain about something else, and we complain about something else. When the people of Israel complained, they compared the sense of their current reality to what they had in the past, and it was really weird. They, had for, they forgot that they'd asked God to get them out of Egypt. They said, it would be better for us if we were back in Egypt. They forgot they'd been slaves. Somehow their current uh, situation seemed so big that they forgot what the past was like. For them, complaint piled on top of complaint. piled on top of complaint until they rebelled against God and rebelled against the leadership of Moses. God let them live with the consequences of their negativity complaining is a creative act we complain and it creates a new sense of reality to us and that reality is never very good here's a third observation I'd make complaining is infectious I was talking to somebody the other day who talked about doing a survey at the end of freshman new students orientation time and part of the questions was what's the food at Baldwin like and you know what NSO students said it's really pretty good And then about a month later, they did another survey, and those same kids said, it's not all that good. And the difference was it's the same food, but sophomores, juniors, and seniors would come back. And those who'd been around for a while begin to talk about what food is like, and students go, well, maybe it's not that good. I talked to a psych prof the other day who's discussing in her class the uh, reality of the power we have to influence each other in our opinions and there was one student who said said i kind of like chapel but i kind of feel like i'm not supposed to because of the power of creative suggestion around them it's easy to complain The problem is it's not just your attitude that's at issue. Your attitude and how you express it affects others and it infects others. That's how complaining works. And when my complaining infects you and you start complaining and it infects somebody else and they start complaining to me, it sets up a vicious circle of complaining until we're all just complaining and there's nothing right. We begin to create a poisonous atmosphere. Look, I'm not up here to yell at you today. I'm not up here to defend a difficult prof or that boyfriend who acted like a jerk. I'm not trying to convince you that chapel is always perfect or that Baldwin is the best restaurant in town, although it comes pretty close. I'm simply standing here and making the point that in our world, complaining complaining about stuff is the box in which most people live. And if you're not a follower of Christ, that's problematic because it creates a a morass of negativity that you have to exist with. But if you are a Christ follower, it's even worse. Because as Christ followers, we say that the Bible is our authority, and the Bible is our source, and the Bible is our guide. We say that, don't we? And the Bible is pretty clear. We read it. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do what? Everything without grumbling or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. The 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 world is messed up, but we're supposed to live without complaining. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the world of word of life. The world is full of complainers, and we're called to have a different attitude. We're called to have a different perspective. We're called to be so full of rejoicing and so full of peace that we are spectacularly different. That we shine like stars in the universe. That they look at us and see that bright light over on the horizon and say, what is that constellation? Why is that so bright? Oh, they're Christians. Somehow they're processing the world with a different attitude. I wonder why. And it gives us an an opportunity to interact with them about Jesus. Now, I want to spend some time in Scripture today to talk about how we can actually do this, why this command makes sense to us. Are you with me so far? Three of you. Good. Maybe it would be helpful to understand some context. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4. But understand, as Paul writes this, to always rejoice, to do everything without complaining or arguing, he is writing from prison. Not everything is sweetness and light, light in his life. He doesn't know whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die. He's riding to a church where there are discontented people. There are these two ladies who've, who contended by his side to help start the church. They contended on his side faithfully for the gospel. And now Iodian and Sintychi are arguing with each other and it's causing such dissension that Paul, who's in prison, probably in Rome, five days journey away, has heard about it. The news has spread to him. And he says to them in Philippians chapter four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. It's like, it's like he's anticipating their pushback. He's writing a letter to them, but it's like he's writing, rejoice in the Lord always. Now I know some of you are thinking, but Paul, you don't know what's going on in my life, so he says he repeats it. I say rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord's near Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I want to make four observations about this passage and then I'll be pretty well done. The first is the Apostle Paul is not saying that everything's great in the world. He's in prison. Christians are being persecuted. Life is hard. But he did not say rejoice in the circumstances around you. He didn't say life is tough. Rejoice that it's tough. He said rejoice in the Lord. Back in the letter of Romans, you probably know this verse, Romans 8, 28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. All who are trying to serve God, no matter what happens, he says, we're going to make this work for good for you. And then it goes on to say the, the reason. He says he's trying to conform us to the image of Jesus. He's trying to make us look more and more like Jesus as we walk through tough times. Our Lord walked through tough times too and came out victorious, and he wants us to do that. Have a bad day in class? Be thankful that God is in your life and that he's at work. Your girlfriend breaks up with you? You don't go around going, woo! Except for some of you who are trying to figure out how to break up with her. And she beat you to the punch, and maybe you're going, whew. What you do is make the choice to ask God to help you to go to work in you so that you learn something important from that heartbreak. Have a chapel speaker that's boring you to pieces, but you're out of skips. God's still trying to work in you, He's still trying to make a difference in you. In every chapel, in every chapel, there's something you can get that God can use. Now, here's the reality. Some profs are better than others. Some of you will graduate, and you will discover that some jobs are better than others. Some of you thinking, how do they wait to get, get a real job and be paid and not be in college? And some of you, when you get that real job, you're going to say, I wish I were back in college. Some circumstances are better than others, but God is always there. And he's always at work in you to make you more. That's why we rejoice. Not because everything is great, but because God's at work. It's an acknowledgement that even though life might stink at the moment, when we come out at the other end with God, we'll be better. I want you to believe also this, that you need to choose to believe that how you process life matters. Paul says, rejoice, let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't be complaining, don't lose your temper, don't be negative. Let your gentleness be evident. Let the spirit of love emanate from you. The Lord's near, he's coming. Paul's basically saying, we don't have time to mess around with complaining because we gotta shine like stars in the universe so that other people see Jesus in us. This doesn't mean we don't identify when something is wrong or even deal with it. I think the issue is not I see something wrong and I'm going to try to change it. The issue is I see something wrong and I'm just going to mumble and grumble about it. That's what Paul is telling us not to do. Just don't whine. If, you're, if you see a problem, go to work to change it. The world needs people who change problems. Third thought, choose to believe that God cares about your life. He cares. He tells them to pray. They're not supposed to ignore the tough stuff in life. What they're supposed to do is when they can't do anything about it, dump it in God's lap. Say, God, you got to help me here. I'm struggling here. I'm a mess here. If you can change something, do it. But when you can't change it, give thanks, Paul says, that God's at work. The last thought. Sermon's not quite over. Some of you go, last, I mean, he's done. One of the most meaningless thing any preacher says is finally. Uh, but almost finally, choose to focus your thoughts. There's a lot of junk in life. There are a lot of things you'd rather not experience. There are things you don't necessarily, necessarily understand. There are problems. You don't get to choose the first thought that comes into your mind about those things, but you get to choose the second one. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, there's anything good at all you can find, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think about those things. You choose what you think about. This is the command of God to us. "'Might there be junk mixed in some of those things?' "'Sure, life's full of junk.' "'But Paul's writing from prison, and he says, "'I'm not gonna be bummed about prison. "'I'm thankful God's at work.'" If you read through Philippians, you'll discover again and again and again he chooses to give thanks. In chapter one, he's thankful that God has worked in their lives. In chapter one, he's thankful that soldiers are hearing the message of Jesus. In chapter one, he's thankful that Christ is being preached by others, even if they're using it to their own advantage to get ahead while Paul rots in prison.'" He says in chapter 4, I'm thankful that I've learned to live with nothing. I've learned I don't have to have stuff to be joyful. And in chapter 4, he says, but I'm thankful that you took an offering and sent it to me because it's nice to have stuff. Paul says, no matter what it is, I'm choosing to be thankful. I'm choosing to rejoice. That's the practice the Bible calls us to. If you're a Christ follower, the command is for you. During World War II, there was a guy who was not a Christ follower, but somehow got what I think Paul was trying to teach. Probably didn't know Paul was trying to teach it. An Austrian Jew, a guy named Viktor Frankl, he was arrested by the Nazis and thrown into concentration camps. Eventually, he ended up in Auschwitz. His wife was killed. His brother was killed. His parents were killed. He had nothing left, and he came to a realization. He said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing. The last of the human freedoms is the power to, in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's attitude, to choose one's way. Frankel survived the war and made a difference in the lives of a lot of people after that. I don't think he knew he was echoing the thoughts of the Apostle Paul, but they come to us today. You get to choose. Can I give you a challenge The world comes with a box of complaints. Everybody seems to live in the box and they carry their complaints around with them and they're glad to share them with you if you want. What if this summer? What if this summer you chose to be a Christ follower? What if this summer you chose to be obedient to the word? What if this something summer you did something massively radical? What if this summer you just said, to the best of my ability, with God's help, I will not complain? I will look for the blessing in everything, and I will rejoice that Christ has made a difference in me. I will rejoice for what Jesus has done for me, that I have victory in Jesus because of what Christ has done. What if you did that? Would that be weird? I think the world might think it strange, but we would shine like stars in the universe as we hold forth the word of light, and people might look at us and say, I don't know what's going on with them. But I need some of that. This is the last chapel of the semester of the school year. And I've just decided we're going to end it celebrating what God has done because I'm tired of living in the box. Let's stand together and worship.